My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. This is Mike, a.k.a. Moonwolf, a.k.a. Lockstep. Um, My family thinks I'm crazy, and they really always have, ever since I wouldn't accept a literal interpretation of the Bible as a young kid. That's really the first thing. And lately, it's I'm crazy for reading the ingredients on things or believing that non-ionizing radiation is still radiation. Anyways, have a good holiday, guys. Hi, it's Rob B. Yes, my family thinks I'm crazy for too many reasons to list. But conspiracy, that's where we agree. My family thinks I'm crazy because despite living the life of a real housewife, I've never been able to conform to society. And I had a superpower of not caring what other people think. Plus, and nowadays, You cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube. I'm Alan Marcus, and my family thinks I'm crazy because I sit alone in a room talking into a microphone, and I tell them I'm podcasting. I'm live streaming, and what I say is important, and it matters, and no one else listens to me. And I'm sure your family thinks you're crazy, too. I'm Elle, and my family thinks I'm crazy because I was a scientist that left the big pharma industry to become a Reiki master and sell essential oils and crystals. Yo, I'm Tuna, and my family thinks I'm crazy for a lot of fucking reasons, but conspiracy ain't one of them. Keep it real, man. So you could actually get all sorts of information in the late 90s that you can't get today. Or you could get it, but you got to know where to look. I think that's what we need. We need to reestablish that Wild West. Mm. And it should not be tameable. You know, we have to, people are going to misuse information. But you got a question. 
how much real danger was caused by that. I, I'm, I'm more of the feeling that less danger was caused by that than we think. I would that agree. We have more, yeah, we have more people acting at a higher level that I find to be reprehensible, right? Than at the low level. As we encounter the future, it's not quite what we expected. I think some things that we thought were going to be good turned out to not be so good. Mm. And things that we thought were bad didn't actually happen out. Didn't weren't quite as bad as what we expected them to be. So maybe there's something worse out there. Maybe we're overprojecting our anxiety into the future. I try to stay. Well, I'm agnostic about a lot of stuff because I'm like, I don't really know that what do I know enough about reality to say that there are that there are extraterrestrials that there are not. Do I know enough about uh, solar astrophysics to say that there's some micronova or there's not? I see a lot of very intriguing information, but I guess I won't know for sure until it happens. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mystic Mark, and on today's episode, we have a returning guest, the founder and CEO of Content Safe, host of the new show titled Deplatformed, and an expert in all things technology. From the pandemic to the metaverse, this conversation covers all the hits of 2021 and even takes a look at ye old 90s internet. But moving on to 2022, looking forward to more content from us exploring new platforms as we head spin away from dystopia into utopia. Lean into the madness, folks, and alchemize greatness. Here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with your host, Mystic Mark. Thanks for joining us and enjoy this fantastic conversation with Matt Raymer. But first, I got to give a shout out to our patrons. We'll be giving out three new spirit animal names in today's outro. Extended outro, by the way. But I got to thank the patrons because we cannot do the show without them. Thank you for your support. We appreciate you. All of our patrons on patreon.com slash MFTIC and our one supporter on Subscribestar. Thank you. We've got thousands of followers on Rockfin, so I appreciate all of you on Rockfin so much. If you guys are into cool stuff, we make it, we sell it. And it's not just audio. I'm making jewelry. What? Jewelry? That's right. Have you ever been to a festival? Have you ever seen those drugged out hippie dudes doing the raps? Yeah, well, I'm not exactly one of those guys. Much love and respect to those guys and gals. Shout out to you. But if you've seen the heady raps at festivals, 
check out my work. I can guarantee you've never seen anything like this at any festival you've ever been to. Mystic Marks, wire wraps, Mystic Marks crystals, they're one of a kind. And I'm not just saying that because I made them myself. I'm saying that because I invented my own style that I've been working on for more than four or five years. And I just got back in the swing of it. That's right. I've been wrapping up a few gems lately. Hence this newfound confidence. And if that tickles your fancy, check it out at Kofi.com. You can go to myfamilythinksomecrazy.com and check out our shop. That's where you'll find all of my Mystic Mark raps. And if you like art, my lovely girlfriend Tara is a painter, and we have some of her awesome works there for sale in our shop. So check those out as well. You can also buy us a coffee on Buy Me a Coffee, or you can give us a one-time donation with PayPal. That certainly helps. I also have a really cool book list that you can check out and a new concept for a show. If you buy me a book and buy yourself a copy of that same book, we will read it together and do a book club episode together on the Patreon. That's right. If that sounds like something you're into, let's do it. I can say for sure my homie, the Smoky Frog, Sylvester, he bought me a really cool book all about Cherokee medicine. So I know he's a busy guy. He's got a lot going on, but when he has a chance, hopefully him and I can get together and review that book. I think that's a fun way to include you guys in this and also to get some more books in my library because just as quickly as I'm giving them away for all our awesome patron supporters who join the Best Friend Book Club, I need to, you know, replenish my stock. I have over 600 books and I plan on reading them all. Some of them I've read already, and some of them which I've read already I give away if you join the Best Friend Book Club. So join that and receive a special book chosen by me. But yeah, we got so much bonus content. I could take forever talking about this. I don't want to waste your time. You came here for an awesome episode with returning guest Matt Raymer, founder of Content Safe, CEO of Content Safe, host of the brand new show D Platform, which is available only on IPFS. Stay tuned for more details on that. But if you like bonus content and you like the show and you want to be a part of the community, I see your YouTube comments. I appreciate them. I see your Instagram messages. I appreciate them. All your comments on Instagram, I appreciate all of it. Thank you for participating. But the best way to participate in the show and get in touch with me is through Telegram. Join our Telegram. Leave us a voice message there. Tell us why your family thinks you're crazy. Give us your name, where you're from. And in two sentences or less, tell us why your family thinks I'm crazy. As you may have heard in the beginning of the show, we're going to be featuring your, what do we call them, endorsements. And I think that's going to boost the show and, and show people like, hey, we're all in this together. I'm not the only one who thinks thinks this stuff is true. And I'm not the only one whose family thinks I'm crazy for it. Right. So I don't know if I quite pronounce that the way or phrase that correctly. But either way, we have an awesome Telegram group growing 100 and something people in there. We're close to 200. So join the Telegram today. And if you're a part of our bonus Patreon supporter content, there is a private Telegram chat just for you 
a little more exclusive. I put a lot more attention there. And in the extended outros, I plan on doing my best to get to some of these messages that I've been receiving because some of you send me essays and I appreciate it. There's no need to apologize or say, hey, man, I was drunk or hey, man, I was really stoned. Like, I get it. I've been there. I've done those same exact things. So you don't need to make excuses. I am very busy, but I will promise that if you send me something, I will screenshot it, I'll put it in a folder, and I will address it in the extended outros starting in 2022. If I missed you in 2021, you're like, damn, this guy never read my message on the show, forward it again, send it to me again, copy paste it and send it again. I promise every message I get in 2022, I will do my best to answer on the extended outro. Now we might get to a point where there's way too many messages to answer them all. In which case, I will have to then limit it to supporters only. And that's fine, because we have almost 40, 50 supporters keeping this show going. And that's still small compared to what I see other podcasts getting. And this is by no means a competition, hence the podcast cooperative that I founded. But I definitely can't do it without your support. So check out altmediaunited.com. Check out all of the ways to support the show. Myfamilythinksimcrazy.com slash support and that's about it for today folks we got a lot to talk about in the extended outro so stick around for that i'm going to be talking about the messages that i've been getting from you awesome lovely listeners so stick around again matt raymer host of the new show deplatformed founder and ceo of content safe another great conversation with my friend matt down there in the philippines All right. You made it this long, folks. Thank you for being with us here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast and enjoy this interview with Matt Raymond. with say an interview a week and I would love to produce just monologues ad hoc and we are finally set up to do IPFS I I was originally thought I was going to get that all up two months ago didn't work out changed my strategy and I finally got in a position to do it but not exactly the way I wanted to do it but it, it's on IPFS and we'll be posting all of our stuff there, hopefully this week before Christmas. And that means that we get to be a, what I would call true underground podcast. We, we might publish on a platform later, but our whole, you know, raison d'etre is to be underground. Very cool. So we really, we really want the platform to just be the platform that we are, we're not part of any platform. Well, and maybe we could roll right into talking about that. And, and sure. Cause I, I think hey. this is the way to do it is to educate people about it instead of just, you know, expecting right. them to find it on their own. And are you familiar with Otter? No. Not AI. It's a uh, platform that does transcripts. Oh, okay. Yes. I think we actually 
If you didn't have a conversation with me about it, somebody brought it up, but I use Descript. I don't know. I mean, hmm. it's a, it's, it's, okay. it's interesting. I don't publish my transcripts publicly. I don't want that to be a thing. I feel like that might be dangerous for podcasters in the sense that like it, seems easier for an AI to scope through a transcript for keywords than it would be a two hour audio conversation. But I don't know. I'm not an AI expert. Maybe it's the same. Well, I think you're right. It does take uh, more processing power to go through and transcribe it. And it's also got the potential for mistakes. So if you have an edited transcript, then that is going to be easier to mine out. But what you could do is you could have an edited transcript and it's available only to subscribers. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to leave anybody out. I, I can't imagine that there is a deaf community that wants to listen to my podcast in particular, but I think that like for a large, for large podcasts, I'm sure there's an audience out there who feels left out. So I think there will be a day when that's like kind of a standard thing, but it does you know, not to get too conspiratorial, it does seem like some of the most Orwellian things come from innovations that are meant to help the handicap, which is, you know, again, you know, not nothing against handicap. I want them to be able to no. participate. But at the same time, if it makes it easy for them to censor me because I put a script transcript out, you know, it's, it's catch 22 yeah, there. But, but see, this gets me back to what I was going on about with uh, Union of the Unwanted last week. We need to change our paradigm about technology. There is no such thing as a safe technology. It's all risky. Everything that enables the individual can be co-opted by an organization to cripple the individual. The difference being that if the individual is aware of the technology, they may have a chance to get ahead of the organization because organizations tend to be lethargic and they tend to react slowly, whereas individuals are light and can react without needing to show an immediate profit or needing to gather resources or needing to prioritize. They can just ad hoc decide they're going to do something. And that that's like a whole Sun Tzu a sort of thing where your enemy's big and has lots of power, but you are weak and are are able to move faster. Mm. So you could potentially be a larger enemy because you've right. got more mobility. Right. And so I, I hope that makes sense. No, it does. We can't look, we can't look at technology as a savior because that same savior can come back and be our master. We, we have to be aware of that. It's quite literally the double-edged sword. We can't forget swords are technology too, but yeah, it is, it is definitely it's it's risky business, you know, especially like I stream on Rockfin. I'm grateful to have my Rockfin account. But then you hear a lot of people in the community say blockchain is going to be this next big, you know, tyrant in the technical space, which, you know, I'm all for decentralization. Hence your show, Platform, completely, you know, in support of that. And, and I want to get my podcast on IPFS as well. I hope we can get into that. But, it, you know, technology, it's always double edged. That's right. That's right. And, and again, you know, it's not a matter of avoiding technology. I disagree with the primitivists who say we should just abandon technology. No, that's, that's not going to work. My inspiration in this 
is Ashok Eliu, who I talk too much about probably. He, he pointed out that, of course, he was coming from a Christian anarchist standpoint. And he would use, in his secular writings, he would just talk about how technology is self-propagating, which meant that it was not under the control of anyone. It uses humanity as a medium of control, or excuse me, a medium of propagation. It, technology propagates through humanity, and no single organization or person controls the flow of technology. That was Elihu's contention. On the Christian side, he would point to like the Old Testament laws of these, these Bronze Age warriors were told, you can't have iron weapons. And he would say that even though that was the ideal, that they were supposed to put their faith in Yahweh, and they were not supposed to have chariots, and not supposed to have weapons of iron. He said, inevitably, they had chariots and they had weapons of iron. And I compare this to the primitivists, like what was the Unibomber, right? His manifesto was abandon all technology, go back to nature. You can't do it because technology won't let you do that. If you are a small kingdom on the border between Rome and Egypt and you get run over by every big empire that comes through, you don't have an option but to have chariots and weapons of iron. Am I making sense? Absolutely. So you can't say, oh, blockchain is going to be the next big tyrant, so we'll not, we're not going to have any blockchain. No, you can't do that. That's not going to work. It, it, you're going to basically, you're disabling yourself. Mm. You're going to have to embrace it because it's going to be used against you. Right. So if you're not embracing it, you're actually crippling yourself. Right. You'll now be left behind. Su- That's right. Or you just sit and hope. If you're a Christian, you could hope for the, the parousia. Or if you are a secularist, you can hope that the next solar flare comes through and knocks out <laughs> all the technology. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who say that that might be happening in the next few weeks. I mean, you could go on a number of websites who predict that, you know, monthly, it seems that that might happen. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? I, at least hypothetically, I, you know, I don't have a problem with solar flares. I think that it could happen. There seems to be evidence that that is going to happen. But it hasn't happened yet. So until that point, I have to continue living in this world. Agreed. I mean, if a solar flare hit right now, hypothetically, we would, neither of us would be able to communicate with each other. (laughs) This is all possible thanks to that. So let's just cross our fingers and hope that that doesn't happen right now. (laughs) Well, I cross my fingers and I prepare uh, coconut shells that I can burn so I can stay warm and cook my food. And I I keep six months of rice in my uh, storage area so that I have rice to eat. So, you know. I love that. Wait, so that's, that's a renewable resource for firewood right there. You guys burn coconut shells in, in, in Philippines? Better than wood. Wow. You know, it's better than wood. I, yeah. Because I, it's got the oil in coconut it too. Coconut shells, exactly. <laughs> they have oil in them and they burn hotter than wood does. Wow. Wow. And it probably smells really good too. 
You don't even have to yeah, buy incense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that. So we, cedar we keep doesn't. about, I, I think that we, we just recently got three big sacks of them. So that's like a couple months of wow, you know, cooking rice. Wow. Somebody got to send some of those to my dad. He chops a lot of wood every, and I, I, wish I used to too. I can't, you know, I was a part of that, but yeah, not anymore. Yeah. The wood, you know, the wood I, burning is, is, is a big part of where I live. The irony I see is that everything that humans need is provided. Mm. We just have to adjust what our expectations are. Mm. It's a matter of perspective. That's right. So if you're willing to, you know, eat simple and not travel, then you don't need all of this technology. It's all there. It's all there for you. Even health, we've been convinced that we need all of these pharmaceuticals and it looks like we probably don't. If we were willing to live with high infant death, we would have people who lived 120, 130, 150 years without any pharmaceuticals. Yeah. I mean, this is my family thinks some crazy podcast. I'm not afraid to say it. I, I avoid pharmaceuticals. I mean, I won't even do Tylenol or Robitussin, nothing like that. You know, I go straight I to the holistic. To. I used to 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but over that time period, I've just become more and more and more hostile toward the mm. idea of using, I have not, I have not needed to take a Tylenol in 10 years. But with, along those same lines, I mean, considering that is a technology, we may be reaching a point where and you know not to say that we can't counter this with the holistic or natural side of things but we may be running into a situation where they're manipulating our peers not us our peers to have a compromised immune system which you know theoretically may have an effect on us i mean obviously and i've had your buddy uh, daryl on the show talking about terrain theory versus germ theory so there are debates there but it does seem like that's what they're trying to push on us like hey you need this technology or you will die and then they're you know in a way giving uh, you mean that there's <laughs> you mean that there's something going on recently where a pharmaceutical you know cure-all is being pushed on <laughs> weaponized uh, yeah, well, whenever my wife asks me what the motivation behind the current zeitgeist is, I said, kill a lot of people. That's the motivation. Well, and I think we were just talking about this with my buddy Andreas Zertis on the interview I just had. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's literally, you know, selling people their lives in a way. Like you give them this thing that compromises their immune system and then you're doling out, you know, this mm-hmm. sort of monthly thing to keep them going because you've compromised their immune system to the point where without the medicine you're providing afterwards you know they, they're not going to be able to survive so i don't know what that means for those of us who choose to you know opt out but in that same thought experiment or line of thinking with technology it's like are we reaching a point there where you know you don't have a choice anymore you have to choose to either use some kind of holistic medicine to improve your immune system because now there's these radically different compromised immune systems moving around out there i don't know this is all again i'm not a biologist and i'm certainly not a doctor so i i am at the point where i am kind of optimistic Mm. that what we're experiencing is over 
it seems more desperate. I mean, I, I definitely always yeah. go for the positive side of things. I, I hate to yeah. seem naive, but I, I think there is something to uh, the reality that we live in is totally our choice, you know, and if you feed into mm -hmm. that negative reality, you're only cr helping that magic that they're creating with these desperate messages that they're sending that winter's going to be all death. And I, you know, obviously right. it's a little more ominous hearing that from where I'm at compared to where you're at, but like, you know, I'm you however many years ago matt and i'm trying to i don't know find my island to run off to at this point because i i don't want to well, hear you know I, mr biden i don't know if i ever a couple things that i sort of comment on what you just said one one thing just the last thing one thing i learned from running off to this island <laughs> is don't you don't need to run off to an island that's one of the biggest takeaways from my life. Well, I definitely I didn't mean to imply cowardice because I know you weren't running oh, no, away. No, no, no. <laughs> no it, it's not. It wasn't really cowardice. It was ignorance. Mm. And, and, you know, I didn't know. I was 24 years old whenever I ran off here. I'm 51 going on 52. And I can tell you after that time of being here, I don't regret coming here. I learned I didn't need to, that, you know, what I was trying to accomplish to could have been done anywhere. Right. That's, that's my contention. Now you don't need to run off somewhere. You need to make something happen where you're at. Right. And, and again, that's why I don't leave here. I've had people say, why, why would you stay there? Why don't you go X, Y, Z? I'm like, why would I do that? Because I've got my network, you know, we've been preparing for a good 10 years for what's happening now. We didn't know. We kind of got a little blindsided by what happened. But my experience was within a month, we already knew the lay of the land as far as, you know, like restrictions. Right. And we could thwart all of them within a month. It really was just a matter of having the internal resolve that you weren't going to be afraid. Mm. Once you had that, you could overcome it. We just needed to develop that mindset. I agree. Yeah, I mean... It definitely the only time I ever was forced to do anything against my will was going into a grocery store grocery store. And, you know, yeah. I think we talked about that last time you're on the show because I just can't shut up about it. And it seems to be <laughs> that that has transferred over into traffic somehow. Now, my buddy Michael Juan and I were talking about how traffic just seems to be more intense than ever before and maybe it's because we both live in metropolis type areas on the east coast but it, it definitely feels like something has shifted psychologically in mass thanks to this whole pandemic and more uh, isolation I would, I would is, agree. Is, is part of it you know well you know what we've noticed over the last two years is there was far more quiet resistance at the beginning here. People, you get protests here, but protesting is not really the way things happen here. If things are going to happen here, the way they're going to happen is at the bar 
or at the dinner table. So people talk about this stuff and they think about it while they're with friends or they're with family. They don't really, there are protests, but those are mostly showpieces and theatrics and people are paid to go there. It's not like the West. People are internalizing. It's happening within their community. It's happening within their family. It's happening within their peers. That's how things happen. At the beginning, a lot more resistance. A lot more people not wearing masks. What I noticed is that the propaganda is corrosive. Mm. After a while, it just they just keep hammering. Uh, bad, bad, bad. Wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask. You know, and it just erodes people to the point that they just go ahead and do it because they're being browbeaten to do it. And I saw from six months ago to now that it used to be you could go out on a hike and you would see 30% of the people were wearing the mask correctly. And then 70% of the people were either not wearing it or wearing it underneath their chin or underneath their nose. But somewhere along in that six months, it flipped. And now it's like maybe 10% are defying it and the rest of them are complying. The only thing I could think that is it's the media because it's clearly not the purported, you know, cause that, that we're not seeing people dying from the virus. We're seeing more people dying from the cure than mm, the disease. Right. So, you know, that, that is a little discouraging, but, as I've told my family, I'm like, well, just keep doing what we're doing. Keep talking to people. We, whenever we go out to hike, we just don't wear a mask. And I, you'll see some people look at you like, oh, you must be crazy for not wearing a mask. But the way culture works here, they're not going to actually say anything to you. Mm. They're just going to give you an odd look. Very similar in Connecticut. <laughs> Very similar. Mm. I I see people wearing masks everywhere, and you know it never it never occurs to me to say anything because I know if I do, it'll come off as confrontational with my wise ass attitude. But I feel like <laughs> I feel like for the most part, it wasn't. It was only like one or two instances where it looked like somebody really had like an issue with the fact that I wasn't and they were like with the eyes. But that could be misinterpreted. I'm only seeing half their face. But at the same time, right? it, it mm -hmm. seems like the people wearing masks are are, are not going to stop you from wearing from going without one unless there's that rule, you know. Oh, well, in this town, because there's still towns in the state that are enforcing it. And I just don't go there anymore. Like, I don't go to the city in New Haven anymore because all the shops have those mandates. It's like, geez, right. you know, you get like freaking bullied by these people to wear a mask. And it, it just, you know, at this point, yeah. it's become, you know, I don't know. I mean, on the on the side of like looking at it as a technology, it's clearly not a technology to protect us, our, our health or, or our respiratory system. It's a technology to, mm -hmm. to, you know, convey obedience. That's right. Absolutely. hundred percent. There's nothing about this that has to do with health. Nothing. It's all about compliance. And, you know, for us, it's only certain places that they actually enforce it. Mm. So if you went to a government office, they enforce it there. Right. If you go to the mall, they enforce it there. But this has an odd counter effect. 
there's a restaurant that I like. They, they're one of the few places that serve breakfast early. Mm. And they have the signs. They have the contact tracing table at the front of the restaurant. Nobody does. <laughs> right. You just walk in, you order your food, and they leave you alone. Right. Nobody, has, so, <laughs> nobody knows anything. Right. <laughs> That's right. It's like not that everybody, as far as we know, everybody contact traced and everybody wore their masks. But actually, it was totally voluntary. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't, you don't have to. They're not going to say Jack. And I'm happy with that. I like that. That's, you know, that's fantastic that, that you can actually get that attitude. And I don't want to force anybody to do anything. That's not my goal. But my goal is to get people to understand that they don't have to do any of this, that they can actually say no. And they can go. In fact, the restaurants outside of the mall are immensely better than the ones that are inside the mall. Yeah. Yeah. My, I mean, my problem is where we don't have a choice. Like with the public library, I tried to go to the public library and, and sadly they did not agree with me being there, not obeying their mask policy. So I left, I didn't get to take any books out, which was unfortunate, but I could go to used bookstores just fine and spend money on books and except for the ones in New Haven. But yeah, it's, it's like, you know, one of those things where you just have to figure out a way around it, it seems, but but yeah, I, you mm-hmm. know, there's so much more to talk about, Matt. And you're, you know, you're doing so much on the back end, we'll say, for podcasting. Maybe we could take it back to deplatformed and sure. explain maybe IPFS for those who don't know. Because you did mention that you want to have your podcast exclusively there. How would somebody, can they still take your IPFS uh, hosted podcast and run it through the podcast app that they listen to this show on? Yeah. Yeah. yeah awesome. Yeah. So it's basically an uh, RSS feed, just not with an RSS URL. It's a, it's, it is a, now well, it is a CDN. It's mm. a content distribution network. So what, what, what you're working with, with IPFS, you can serve up MP4s, you can serve up HTML, it's all available through browsers now. So you don't have to have a special client to get the show. You can just download it by entering the URL that we provide. You can also organize that into folders so that you could see new shows that come out. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like, cause I, I don't know, maybe, you know, obviously it's not a RSS feed, but for someone who's as technically illiterate what? as me, when you I say could. RSS feed, I'm talking about like you click the link and every episode comes in like that. It's easy. And I can start listening. I don't have to download each one. Cause I know there are certain mm-hmm. browser based people who do that, but that's such a small percentage. When I look at the analytics, it's like 2% of could. my audience listens through a browser you could provide an RSS feed on mm. the IPFS. Beautiful. Cause I, I think that's the yeah. convenience that, you know, obviously the guys who are way technically literate are going to be like, all right, yeah, I can do this. But someone who's a, a newbie like me, who's just trying to like figure this all out for himself for the first time. It, it's definitely, it's cool to have that convenience. Actually we bit, we built into the uh, listen notes 
a playlist for anybody who comes across the Alt Media United uh, website where they click this mm -hmm. OPML button, they download the OPML, and then they're automatically subscribed to every podcast in the Alt Media United podcast oh, cooperative idea. through their, you know, podcast app idea. of choice, you know, and obviously we like to incentivize people to listen on, you know, a third party app, not Apple, not Spotify, because these are the exact mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. that are going to censor feeds and, and, you know, make it impossible for someone to listen to a show like yours because they're not going to serve up you know potentially that feed without maybe you having to go and, and figure out a way to plug it into their server i mean have you thought of that putting your show on spotify even though it's hosted on ipfs does spotify forward the traffic to the source or? i think i'm not sure the the technical side of it but but my host uploads lets spotify. me well, when I, you know, when I'm on my host transistor, I, my RSS gets linked into Spotify through whatever magic they're doing, you know? So I'm wondering, you know, mm -hmm. if somebody were to create their podcast through IPFS, is all of that still going to be available for them? Or is it going to be, uh, again, like more steps to get the show? Hmm. Well, I'm going to have to look into that because I had not really thought about Spotify and IPFS because I mean, of course I stay out the this is the next generation right. of the web where we don't use servers anymore right well and that's uh, what I that's what I'm thinking is like because from my perspective I want to reach as many people as possible there's already a bunch of people mm -hmm. that are listening to podcasts or finding new podcasts through there so you know obviously as a host I want to have my show available on that platform you know so i'm just yeah i guess i'm i'm not saying that that's the goal is for everybody to be on spotify but to reach oh, people no. and, and be like a bridge into this mm -hmm. underground world we gotta go out to those more public places or more more corporate places to get them to the underground yeah i, I agree and every content creator i deal with comes to me and says but but i gotta i gotta <laughs> do it on youtube because i've got a larger audience there yeah, I totally get it. I totally understand. Me personally, I don't feel any compunction to publish the platform on a platform. Why? Because I have an ideal I'm striving for. And if I could build this underground, mm. why not? Right? I love it. That and, and that's kind of what I was trying to get out of you with that is because I think that's really what we're going to need to do is have folks like you set this up in this kind of ad hoc, you know, entrepreneurial way. And then people bridge, you know, from the mainstream to the underground. And through that process, there can be a lot of revealing, awakening, you know, coming to, to know truth well, because we're, we're dealing with an, an honest medium here. You just got to do a little more work to get to the truth. That's just the truth, you know? You know, whenever we did our first pot interview together, I think I remember us talking about you were, how old are you now? I just turned 27 in October. So, wow. <laughs> whenever you were born, the internet was only like just still in its infancy. Mm. Right? You were born mid 90s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 94. Uh, that means 94. So that was right about the time the internet went public. Wow. 
Yeah. So you would not have known what it was like to be on the internet back then. And what I'm trying to, to do in essence is make that environment permanent. Mm. What, we, what we've done in the last 20 years is tame the internet. What we're striving is to make it untamable. Make it wild. Un, yeah, make it ungovernable. Mm. That's what we're aiming for. And th- that's, of course, a pretty controversial thing to want to do. Because there are some people who really think that the only way that this needs to move forward is to work further and further restrictions mm. on the internet. Whereas my viewpoint is no, you don't need further restrictions on the internet. It's sort of like implementing hate speech laws. Yeah, I don't need hate speech laws. You just need to enforce laws on damaging person and property. You don't need a hate speech law. Let people say whatever they want to say. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Make sense. yeah, and I, I think the first time I ever used the internet, it was probably in like 2005 or six around that right. time. And I was still, you know, my first memories of using the computer, I was just putting like CDs and playing like little games and whatnot. But there was a time <laughs> when you could find an incredible amount of information and it started to wane probably around like 2013, 14 and I remember like oh. from 2008 to 2011, I was probably seeing like the end, what you would consider the end. But like to me, it was there was still a lot of really crazy, cool stuff you can find. And I was really enjoying it. I mean, one thing that I think I mentioned to you was stumble upon. Like they don't have this anymore. I a, remember that a random yeah, I URL. Remember, I remember it. Yeah, yeah and it, I remember stumble upon like mm-hmm. the, that. Just the fun of going to a randomly generated URL at the click of a button. I, I wish someone would replicate that again because it was just it led to so many uh, rabbit holes. We'll say that I was not expecting mm-hmm. to go down. Obviously, there were there were categories for those who remember. So you can click like a conspiracy category, an alien category, and you just get random. URLs in that category. And it was, it was amazing. You know, in the late nineties, you could go on the internet and get full medical information about anything. A doctor would, would not mm. anything. Cause it you was all still connected, right? The, the That's hospital right. system could, that they invented. Cause this, this stuff was, was built for these industries and then integrated mm-hmm. into the public. Right. So there was like a mainframe. Well, there was a call in the late nineties to restrict access to mm. medical treatment information on the internet. And wow. that's when that started cramping late nineties. Wow. So you could actually get all sorts of information in the late nineties that you can't get today. Yeah. Or you could get it, but you got to know where to look. And I think that that's what we need. We need to reestablish that wild west. Mm. And it should not be tameable. You know, we have to, people are going to misuse information. But you got a question. How much real danger was caused by that? I, I'm, I'm more of the feeling that less danger was caused by that than we think. I would that agree. We have more. Yeah, we have more people acting at a higher level that I find to be 
reprehensible, right, than at the low level. Right. Right. And you see this being used as a tool for the common man overwhelmingly, like even just like social media apps, how Mm -hmm. prolifically, you know, it changed a lot of different countries, political atmosphere, just because people were able to freely communicate with each other in the touch of a button. You know, some countries didn't have that up until, you know, really recently and it completely changed the whole trajectory of a lot of different countries you know and i'm not an expert i'm just kind of paraphrasing here but i think there's something inherent to what you were initially talking to us about here with the you know not opting out of technology but embracing it to the point uh that it becomes consensual and beneficial to everyone because i mean that's the fear is that it's not consensual and people are going to be have their rights taken from them and there's not going to be any love there's going to be hate or whatever they you know throw at us but it's ultimately just fear that that gets people to kind of sort of distort the true potential of these things right and we shouldn't have any illusions anytime that you have a, a latitude or a freedom there are risks attached to that. Mm-hmm. No illusions. We understand that. I remember listening to Coast to Coast back in the early 2000s, uh, Obama era. And the guy that was hosting Coast to Coast said something like this. Something's amiss. Something's not right. George Norrie. It may have been George Norrie. It was Obama era. Mm. And he's like, something's amiss. Something's not right. And they know something that they're not telling us. And we're big enough that we can take it. Trust us. Tell us what's going on. Now, personally, I'm of the mind that there may be something bigger that they they don't want us to know. Mm. And it's possible that they're trying to get their escape plan in place and they don't care what happens to us. I mean, we have talked about this recently on the show, the prolific, uh, you know, race to space by all these, you know, private entities. Now you're seeing all these different billionaires, you know, competing. And I was just talking to a guy who's absolutely fascinating. His name is Chaz. His website's Chaz of the Dead. I think this episode might come out before his episode, but he okay. he spoke to me about a bunch of different stuff, but he talked about, oh man, I warmed it up so much I completely forgot where we were going. Where were we just going with that? Jeez. Something's, something may be happening that they don't want us to know about, but they're preparing in advance for it and they don't care what happens to us. Right. Right. And, you know, it's just overwhelming that the alien kind of reality that they're trying to you know warm up to us now with the whole military you know I'm completely forgetting the point but i'm gonna try to make some sense here matt this freaking i'm in a basement too but unfortunately my basement is not very quiet there's this furnace that comes on every now and then and i just have to like adjust the levels and it totally took me out of my train of thought but anyways Thank you for letting me explain that idiosyncrasy there. But either way, Chaz of the Dead, great conversation. And he was talking about this sort of consciousness aspect to it. It's 
purely consciousness to him. Like there's something inextricable about these UFO encounters. And when you said that, you know, there's some, there's something that they're not telling us about, like, that's kind of what it brought to mind, this disclosure, but it doesn't feel like it's, you know, little green Martians. Could be a a lot of things. It It, feels like it's, it could be, it could be the alien thing. It could be the micronova thing. It Mm. could be the, self-organizing collective thing. I mean, there's a lot of options about what's on, what we're on the edge of. But I have felt for a good 20 years that we were on the edge of something. And I think over time, I've had to refocus what I thought that was. Because as we encounter the future, it's not quite what we expected. Right. And I think some things that we thought were going to be good turned out to not be so good. Mm. And things that we thought were bad didn't actually happen out, didn't work quite as bad as what we expected them to be. So maybe there's something worse out there. Maybe we're over-projecting our anxiety into the future. I try to stay... Well, I just had this conversation this morning in a meeting. There's truth, there's false, and there's I don't know. Right? So it's like, well, I'm agnostic about a lot of stuff because I'm like, I don't really know. It, what Do I know enough about reality to say that, to there, are, that there are extraterrestrials or there are not? Do I know enough about uh, solar astrophysics to say that, that there's a micronova or there's not? I see a lot of very intriguing information, but I guess I won't know for sure until it happens. I'd agree. Yeah. And I I do think that there is this sort of paradigm where you do kind of create your own reality or maybe even shift towards reality that matches your frequency, you know, like attracts Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think that's what I've been exploring at least recently in a lot of conversations talking about the law of attraction and, and realities Mm -hmm. and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, to our point we were making previously, maybe if you, if you really think the world is ending, the world ends for you. If you see this as a new beginning, it becomes a new beginning. You know, I I really think that technology has that potential always. I, I think so. Maybe we, I'm not sure we mean exactly the same thing, but I do think that maybe not in the most absolute sense that we create reality. I do believe in some sense we absolutely create the perception of reality. So I might not actually be changing the physics of the universe by the way I think, but in terms of my perception of how the world works, I definitely have a lot of power over how I perceive things. Now, the problem with that is that I don't actually have a whole lot of control over reality. <laughs> so if I, if I am you know, forcing my perception onto reality at some point, there's going to be a, a break where I don't have that much control over reality. And reality is going to smack me in the face. Mm. So that, that brings us to the other possibility that what we're experiencing right now is a denial of reality. Wow. Yeah. 
it's it's definitely spooky. I don't remember what my point was about Chaz, but the world seems more paranormal than ever. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, if you've got a system. And now what we have, this is a Cliff High sort of thing. Are you familiar with Cliff? Absolutely, yeah. He was, uh, I booked him on Sam's show, and Sam was really impressed. He really enjoyed talking to him. I heard he was on the show I enjoyed and I listening. wanted to go watch that. It was good. I, I haven't I haven't listened yet. I like Cliff. The web bots. I'm, I'm not I am not big on the alien aspect of his work, but that that said, the self-organizing collective side, wow, I'm definitely on board with that. And um as I see it, as Cliff would say it, you've got a world that's had centuries of gradual building up of systems to try to be a top-down control. And it's inherently unstable. These systems are interlocked with one another. If you knock out one, you knock out a bunch of them and they lose the ability to control. Hmm. So they have this perception of reality that they can create these systems that will give them ultimate control over the world. And that's what I was getting at with, at some point, perhaps your perception of your power is greater than your actual power. Mm. Wow. And Cliff, you know, goes to say that we are organizing unconsciously as a society and they know that. And they're trying their best to get us to stop organizing. But it's a technique. It's a technology. And nobody controls it. We don't control it. Hmm. Right. We, you know, we make individual decisions. But if I decide to go live out in the forest in a cave and only cook things on a fire and have no refrigeration... That doesn't mean that there aren't people with guns that aren't going to come and, you know, grab me, scoop me up and throw me in an asylum for being crazy. Right? Yeah. I mean, we've talked to people on the show who might be going to do that. I mean, I don't, I don't want to speak for any of them, well, but yeah, that's, that <laughs> seems to be what some people have resolved to do. Yeah. And, you know, there, and I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. I'm just saying that the perception that somehow fleeing into the forest and living in a cave is going to somehow protect you from this. No, it's not. I used to dream about figuring out how to live in Antarctica with the penguins. And I finally realized they've got 13 military bases in Antarctica. Even if I could figure out how to live in the ice cold temperature with the penguins, <laughs> I'm probably going to get scooped up by somebody on a snow machine that says, what are you doing here? Oh, you know, and they, they, they either shoot me on the spot or they send me back to civilization to be in prison. You know, I hope that doesn't sound too dark pilled. No, I, I just can't imagine how cold it gets where you are at. But uh, from where I'm at, I would never <laughs> want to live in Antarctica. Jeez, New England's well, cold enough. My, po <laughs> my point is try to imagine the place that you would perceive that 
you would be left alone. Mm. That you could go and nobody would be interested in bothering you. Mm. There isn't a place like that anymore. Yeah. It's all gone. Yeah. I mean, and now they're going to literally sell a copy of it on the metaverse. You know, they're going to have this physical or, you know, copy of, you know, an internet copy of a physical place, you know, that now is selling as real real estate. I'm sure you're aware of all this, right? Yes. Well, you know, this is why I think the metaverse will fail because they tried this and it was called Second Life. Mm, Right. And that was 20 years ago. I remember having friends who played that game in middle school, I had an account, I played it for a little while and got bored of it. But yeah, that was a a big thing for (laughs) kids in my middle Uh, school. My perception is that true VR will never catch on. Mm. What's more likely to catch on is augmented reality. Right. Which is why they want to put it on a contact lens or through a Google glasses or something like that. Right. Right, exactly. It seems to me that that's more natural and it's going to be easier for a larger number of people to adopt. I still hear stories about people having motion sickness with VR hoods. Right. I so, yeah. I put an Oculus on once or twice and both times really disliked it for the sensory deprivation points, you know, and and mm-hmm. I've I've had, you know, some pretty out there psychedelic experiences, never anything that made me feel like that sick, you know, and, and you know, mm-hmm. mushrooms can be just as disorienting, but, you know, that was an odd type of sickness, kind of similar to seasickness, mm-hmm. really. I, I remember feeling that when I was on a boat when I was a young kid, but mm-hmm. yeah, very odd. And I don't, you know, I'm not. I'm very biased, I'll say, because I I used to play a lot of video games, and now I realize how much time I wasted playing all those video games. Honestly, in my opinion, I regret it. I'm sure some people enjoy playing games, but I I felt like I could have been spending that time learning stuff and reading. But either way, it's it's it it feels like the augmented through that the augmented the first go ahead go sorry the first video game I ever played. 1978 pong i had pong i had space i had asteroids i had space invaders i had i had all of that stuff before my classmates in elementary did because my dad wanted me to you know be up to date on technology Mm. so i was involved in all i i used my first computer in elementary school yeah, I remember. I remember yeah. getting the the Xbox and hearing the stories from my dad. Like, oh yeah, we used to play Pong. I remember getting Pong on Christmas, and so yeah, I heard I heard that whole thing. But my dad was never really into computers. He liked the pinball, you know, pinball games and all that. And I think that's where that came from. But but well, yeah, I wrote my dad an inventory control program whenever I was thirteen. <laughs> So it's like, uh, we, I was involved in it pretty early. I could tell. I, I stopped playing video games my early thirties. Okay. So I was pretty, you know, I, I played back in the eighties, nineties. I, I was playing doom. I played castle Wolfenstein in graduate school quake, which was the successor to doom was called quake. 
I remember. I got into, <laughs> and I got into the whole thing with Dungeons and Dragons, you know, their video games. Everwinter Nights. See, now that, that to me, that's kind of where I was going to take the augmented reality point. Because you, like, there is a certain, you know, I have friends who are big into Dungeons and Dragons. And there's a certain, like, intelligence that comes with that type of game. Like, people who like that stuff, like, their mind is made for that. I, you know, whatever did that, I don't know what it is. <laughs> But me, I'm, I just, yeah. I'm not, personally, I don't have the patience to do a game like that. I don't know what it is. But I, I respect them for playing it. But I feel like the augmented reality technology is going to push people towards something like that, where they're, where they're ever-present, it's ever-present in their life, and, like, they can mm -hmm. kind of choose, like, okay, I don't want to be Phil anymore. I want to be, like, Phil mm -hmm. the wizard, and, like, even though I, I still have to pay my bills and go to my job, like, this augmented reality I'm living in makes me feel somehow like I'm living sort of a wizard's life. I mean, is that something mm -hmm. you think could happen? Because Mike and I talk about uh, augmented realities uh, on, on our show a lot. What do you what do you think about in Britain them building an entire community that's based on Harry Potter? <laughs> well, yeah, that's definitely augmented reality for sure. Right. So you're actually create or Star Wars land. Well, that mm. thing that opened up there in, in California, right? Yeah. Well, to your point, yeah. Mike and I on the your handbook for the apocalypse, he went to I think it's Williamsburg, Colonial Williamsburg, and he connected mm -hmm. it to ARGs. He's like, dude, this is totally an ARG. You know, everybody when you go into Colonial Williamsburg, you know, everybody's acting in character in this time period, and then you go and look at the history, <laughs> and it's not even really that accurate. That's the funniest part. Is like we looked into some, or he looked into some of the historical truths behind that time period. And it looks like they set that whole thing up to give you an impression of what Colonial Williamsburg was that is really not that close to the truth, you know? So you're living in That's this fantasy. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, no, I, I kind of like watching, um, it's not necessarily Colonial Williamsburg, but have you ever watched Townsend's on YouTube? No, no. Is that British though? It sounds like it's a British no, thing. No, it's American. It's, huh. uh, no, it's American colonial okay. uh, history. And it's mostly cooking. Mostly. Huh. So that the guy, it, the guy started out doing it because he does reenactments everywhere in the U.S., but primarily it's the Eastern states that he does the reenactments. And he visits all the different, you know, places like colonial williamsburg and other places and he talks about period food so he shows you how to how they would eat breakfast he shows you all sorts of stuff and he even makes it over into indiana because indiana has a lot of reenactment places as well mm -hmm. and i would be curious because it seems like he really does his due diligence to try to be historical but you know I would be curious to know what's, you know, what's wrong with the way they portray things at Williamsburg. Yeah, yeah, no, I, it definitely seems like it, it, there's an element to, to it that's odd because the Rothschilds were somehow, or no, sorry, Rockefeller family. Somebody who was yes. a part of the Rockefeller family was a part of setting up this Williamsburg colony, 
Right. Go, go figure. <laughs> so I, I don't remember all this off the top of my head because this was several weeks ago that Mike and I talked about it. But I encourage you and, and anyone listening who's curious to go listen to that but because Mike definitely had some some interesting things cool. that stood out. But, yeah, just the concept itself, it feels like they, they're going to start to do that with cities, you know, where, you know, there's all these mm-hmm. social credit systems in place and they gamify your life as a citizen in that city. Right. You know, I have a question. I know that this is happening, but a lot of people talk about China and social credit systems. And the thing that I think a lot of people need to understand about China is that China is only loosely centrally controlled. We see a lot of propaganda about them being, you know, just this complete like social credit lockdown. That's not really the way China works. From what I understand, there is this kind of artificial, they try to prevent travel between different places. But the actual ability to enforce these things is constrained by practical limitations of enforcers. So, for instance, you've got one and a half billion people, and there's really only less than 500 million people out of that that live in cities. Hmm. And there's really only about 100 million of those people who are even close to middle class. Wow. And then there's, right, and then there's only a million of those people who are in the Communist Party itself. So they're like sitting on top of a powder keg. <laughs> yeah. That China, it, social credit system, but how do you know how successful it was? Because <laughs> you don't have access to even see. All we have is our, our fears of what could happen, right? Right. And I'm not saying that to dismiss the whole thing. I'm saying that to get us to kind of sober up a bit and say, oh, wait a second, what exactly do we know about this? Let's step back and be a bit agnostic and say, yeah, I don't like where that sounds like that's going, but is it actually there? Are we actually in a social credit system yet in the U.S.? Tell me. Not at all. Well, I mean, some depending on who you ask. Yeah. I mean, depending on who you ask. <laughs> right. I, I can tell you now that a lot of people can still make a living without having a Facebook account. Do you know what percentage of Americans don't have email addresses? Right. I'm sure it's pretty high. 20. What? Yeah. There's really? 20% of American society that doesn't have an email. I thought it would be like 50%. Really? It's 20%? Oh, no, no. It's still, it's still pretty, it's pretty high. It's in the 80% and above range that have email addresses. Yeah. But 20% don't have, there are whole, I didn't know about this until a couple of years ago. There are tens of thousands of hippies that travel around the U.S. on a regular basis and have no permanent address. And they live from place to place. They make, they make their living either freelancing online or doing jobs on the ground. Or uh, That's not a social credit system. And how are you going to step those people into a social credit system? They're not taking vaccines, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. So 
you know, the world's pretty complicated. And again, I'm not saying this to try to get us to stand down. I'm trying to get us to say this, to say, look, you know what? If we decide that we don't want something to happen, we have the power to say no. Mm. And we should be saying no. And we should be saying no. Right. (laughs) We We should really be saying no. Right. Because... There, there are crazy people out there that want things to happen that, that they just don't mesh with reality. That's going to kill a lot of people if you do it. Right. And it seems to be that they can't force you to say yes or no, but they can limit your options and, and limit your perception so that you think you can only say yes. Right. So all the more That's reason right. to go deplatformed, all the more reason to get, That's right. you know, informed and, and, be decentralized with your information where you get it, you know, don't rely on just this podcast or, or any one source, you know, go out and find many different well, sources. Like you mentioned before, the gentleman who's got the Pentecostal coronavirus podcast that he's going to be putting out. I think that's fascinating, you know, especially cause he came at it from a whole different angle. Like you mentioned, he wasn't aware of Jones. He wasn't aware of anybody who's, you know, basically like you know you bottom line have to know if you get into podcasting you're definitely aware of alex jones oh for sure (laughs) you have to be living under a rock not to know about him but you know and i love the guy in beijing i i love all my content creators and i consider them like family even if i don't really find their perspective to be compatible with the way i see the i feel a sympathy for their need to express what they understand, their understanding of the world. Mm. I feel a sympathy toward that. And I want everybody to be able to do that. And there are a lot of people, you're not going to get unity in humanity. Not the kind of unity that I think some people imagine that they want. Some people imagine that they want a kind of lockstep, everybody sees and interprets everything the same way kind of unity. I don't think that meshes up with reality. You can't get that. If you got that, I think you would get it at the cost of killing vast numbers of people. And even then, would you really get it? If you depopulated the world, if you took out 97% of us, would you really get that level? I'm not so sure you would. I don't know. I mean, you need friction to create a spark. You need, you know some sort of resistance to create change and give way for progress. So, and and the true sense of the word, not this phony, you know, political sense of progress, because it's all, you know, BS, but. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, going back to Jacques Elliou again, that was one of the things he railed about Mm. in his works. And he was very adamant against the word progress. It's a meaningless word. Mm. Progress toward what exactly? It, it, and I find this ironic. Are you familiar with the electric universe yeah. uh, hypothesis? Yeah, yeah. You know, Elihu in one of his seminal works described progress as being, you know, if you define progress as making a jet plane go faster, going faster to what, to what destination? Right. And I found it ironic that there was a 
uh, a discussion group between the, the key figures in the electric universe world and Michael Shermer, you know, the internet skeptic. And Shermer, in his discussion, said, it doesn't matter whether what you're saying is true. What matters is if it can make a jet plane go faster. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you've got to be kidding me. This guy actually said the one thing that was the most ridiculous thing that you could have possibly said. Going faster to where? You want, if, if you could get across the planet in a month, at one time in our history, that would have been considered incredible to travel the whole globe in a month. Well, now you can travel the whole planet in less than 24 hours. You can go ring around the planet, flat earth or society. You know, you can, you can do that. Well, I've seen things since the late nineties about being able to take a jump ship up into orbit and land anywhere on the planet in 15 minutes. Wow. Well, what's next? <laughs> Once you progress to 15 minutes to any point on the planet, where do you go from there? The whole idea of progress is nonsense. We have to step back to meaning, not progress. Mm. That's, that's where it's at. How are we defining what we are, where we're going, why we would be going there, right? That is better than progress. I love it. And I think that's a good place to... To end it, before we go, let sure. let the folks know where to find Deplatformed. And you, you said you hadn't published it yet, right? So when's this coming out? Well, uh, I do have a website, which mm -hmm. is one compromise here. But that's a website I host on my own server. So that's at deplatformed.co. Great. We will be publishing, hopefully this week, before Christmas, all of the monologues that I produced because the structure, one thing we didn't talk about to our, our audience is how do I structure the show? Because that's what's one of the unique things about what we're doing. Mm. We're structuring the show first by creating monologues that we solicit to people we would want to interview. And they come back to us and they answer our monologues back to us. And we have a conversation, and it's often a free-flowing, roving conversation. We're not locked in necessarily to the answers to the questions. I, I really like to pursue thoughts with the people I interview. So we might use those as guideposts for the general area that we're discussing. Uh, and that, I think, is a little bit radical about the way we do the show. Not only the way we distribute the show, which is by way of interplanetary file system, but also just the format of how we present it. And post-interview, I will do uh, an intro and an outro. And in my uh, outro, I try to pick at the answers that my guest had and sort of fire back more questions. I love that. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to, I, I think this episode will be its own episode due to how long we went. So 
But I, that's what I've been sort of doing with the outros, or at least in my mind, what I want to do is mm-hmm. try to respond more to what maybe was left off the table that was mentioned, but didn't quite get concluded or, you know, not quite the same as what you're proposing. But I am trying to do something with the outros quite like that, where where we you know, give people some something more than just the, the interview itself. Cause you know, I, it's, it's, it's a lot of things to do with, to make these podcasts. Know, the beauty of the idea is that there's no reason why you should hesitate mm. to copy the format because it's really not the format that's unique about it. it it's a Socratic method. You, you are, what, what makes it unique is how you ask the questions and how the guest answers them. Right. The format, it's, it's belongs to the world. It doesn't belong to us. So what makes deplatform to deplatform is Matthew and his crew. It's not really the format. Beautiful. Thank you for yeah. clarifying yeah. that. Yeah, no, I definitely, I see that. And I, you know, I sometimes stumble with my words. So it's, it's sort of, no, it feels like, it feels like that's what I meant, but you said it so much better than I could at this moment in time. So thank you, Matt, for, for elaborating on that. And, and yeah, deplatformed is, is one thing, but then you also have content safe for those who have podcasts themselves that may be listening. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Content Safe, which is contentsafe.co. We are a content redistribution company. So we help content creators take their content and distribute it to the the proliferating number of platforms that are out there. We, We redistribute to over a dozen platforms now and growing. We're still at the ground floor of the company. People who come in now are really part of a special group of people that if you have a platform that you want to distribute to, we'll make it work for you. Now, later we might corral that in and, and not maybe not be so flexible, but for now we're that flexible. And I really want to keep my content creators to be like family. So we're trying to help them out, not only with content redistribution, but we're also trying to, advise them on monetization strategies. We're helping them out with hosting if they need that. We're also offering types of new technologies. Like I just recently started hosting people's files on IPFS uh, so they could distribute their shows there in addition to the platforms. We're, We're always looking out for new tech and I'm always looking to interview with people like you because it helps me. I learn vast amounts of things from my content creators. Beautiful. Well, Matt, thank you for joining me again. For folks who haven't listened, go back. We had a really awesome conversation, episode 62 of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. So this will be coming out around the 120s. Who knows? Maybe it'll be 60 episodes from from when we did our last episode. But either way, it's been a pleasure, as usual, talking to you, Matt. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you to the listeners. Enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. All right, here we are in the extended outro of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, an episode with my friend Matt Raymer, founder of Content Safe, host of the new podcast Deplatformed, which, like I said in the intro, is only available 
through IPFS, Interplanetary uh, F Satellite. I don't know what the F stands for, but either way, that sounds pretty crazy, pretty advanced. And the way it's been explained to me before is that this satellite is basically like the international waters of the internet. So just like, you know, billionaires can go out in international waters and do all kinds of crazy stuff, allegedly, this sort of uh, IPFS network that's being built or is already built is sort of like the wild, wild west of the internet again. Uh, obviously, you heard Matt and I talk about this a lot in today's show, how the internet has been tamed and Matt wants to untame it. I think that's pretty cool. I remember experiencing a lot of fascinating culture through the internet in that small window of time when I was old enough to comprehend what I was seeing. Uh, and then obviously that got, that window got, you know, closer and closer and closer to being shut until now we're living in this sort of dystopian uh, Plato's cave sort of thing where the window's been uh, blackened, uh, black mirror, <laughs> and we're being shown reflections of what's going on behind our backs, right? So that's the world we're living in, but I think Matt does a great job of explaining the hope that there is in technology, and I'm not sure if it was my point or Matt's point, but I don't think that we can run away from technology. We have to embrace it uh, because it's going to catch up with you no matter how far you run. That sounds scary, but I don't think we need to necessarily be picturing a John Connor Terminator scenario. I think what's happening right now with the pandemic is enough to wake people up. And, you know, as more people unfortunately pass away from these really terrible things that have been going on, I think more people will start to wake up and the people who were silent will have maybe more justification for their position and the tides will shift and we'll be living in possibly a new aeon. I mean, I don't know if you, if everyone in our audience listens to the higher side chats, I, I hope you all do because it's the gold standard of what we're doing here right now. And a lot of what Greg does inspires this show. And he recently had Chris Knowles on for a 10th time. I reached out to Chris Knowles. Hopefully he'll come back on our show, our little show that could. Actually, as a matter of fact, Chris Knowles, uh, I'm a member of his Patreon, and he just released the first conversation I had with Chris, episode 14 of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, on his Patreon. And he said that uh, the original location had disappeared, which is not true. I still have the audio published. So if you listen to the show on iTunes or Spotify, Go back and, and make sure for me that that episode 14 with Chris Knowles is still there because uh, it could be getting shadow banned and I would have no way of finding that out because A, I'm an Android user, so I, I don't look in iTunes and B, my hosting service doesn't tell me what's going on past the distribution. So a little inside baseball here, I pay Transistor FM to host this show and then they distribute it to the various platforms that you listen to the show on, whether that's Spotify, Apple, or any of the others. I personally hope that you listen to the show on an app like Podcast Addict, 
That's the one I use because it seems to have the most features and it also seems to be in line ethically with what I represent um, as far as anti-censorship. But getting a little far away from the, the topic, Chris Knowles, one of the reasons I always go back to his work and the reason I find what he has to say so um, compelling but also relieving is this is a guy, Chris Knowles, who's been studying this stuff for a long time and his opinion, and again, listen to the Higher Side Chats episode to hear him say it himself and not just me paraphrasing, but he basically said, listen, they've been lying about these technology, black budget things for decades, and it's all just to get venture capital money and get seed money, and they put all this hype around these you know, dystopian-seeming technologies like these you know, DARPA killer robots and really they're decades still away from utilizing that technology. And, you know, according to some, maybe even Chris, who knows if they'll ever make it there. And he had very similar things to say about the metaverse, which I thought was interesting. Again, I can't really paraphrase. So I hope you all support Greg and listen to that full two hours of that conversation because it was fantastic. Anyways, enough about that. Hopefully we'll get Chris back on the show. Great conversation with Matt Raymer. We've had a lot of great conversations come through the pipe, uh, whether it be Telegram, Instagram, any of the grams. Uh, Twitter, I don't check. Usually I'm just putting stuff on Twitter for you guys to see. And uh, mostly that's Rockfin live stream. So follow us on Twitter if you want to stay up to date. We do stream live Every conversation that we have here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast on Rockfin for free. And as soon as the live stream is over, it goes behind the paywall on Rockfin. So you can check it out for free. If you've never used Rockfin before, sign up on Rockfin and make sure you follow us first because that does help out the show tremendously. I don't even care if you never listen to the podcast on Rockfin. If you follow us on Rockfin and then Go and you know spend all your time watching Isaac Weishaupt and Sam Tripoli. As long as you followed the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast first, somehow I'll get credit for that. So that's pretty awesome. Make sure if you're going to sign up on Rockfin, follow us, show us some love. And that's where we're at. We get a lot of messages and some of them are essays. And that's self-described. You guys say this yourselves. And there's no need to apologize, okay? Like I said in the intro, I've been there, okay? I get it. You want to send me an essay? I can't promise you I'm going to read it and in that exact moment. But what I will try to do is respond to those messages in the extended outro here. Because I want, I want to change up the content. I want to bring a more familiar feel to the show so I'm not just another talking head asking questions. I hope you guys feel like you can get to know me through this show. Obviously, respect my boundaries, but also get to know me because I, I do appreciate everyone who listens to the show. And I appreciate anyone who also feels like their family thinks they're crazy for things they believe in, right? So you're here, your family, get in touch with me. Like I said, sometimes I'm too busy to respond immediately, but I'm going to respond here live in the now for you okay pretty cool right awesome so maybe if synchronicity is in your favor working in your favor 
You'll hear yourself on the show. So here we go. We got a message. All right, we've got a message from Zach Pride. Zach says, hey, Mark, I love your show, brother. I appreciate all the content and your approach to life. So the sigil thing immediately did not look like a human or anthropomorph to me. He's referring to a symbol painted on a rock that I found on a hike with my girlfriend, Tara. I mentioned this on my weekly show that I do with Michael Wan. We took a two-week break at the end of December. We'll be back in 2022. And he's talking about this symbol that I was discussing with Mike on our Your Handbook for the Apocalypse show. So he says that it looked exactly like a sigil or a rune. So I searched for Wiccan sigils and found one that is similar, denoting time. But it was rare to find in a search. Then I moved to runes. And he attached an image. Okay, so just as you have intuition for where to pull over, the vibe I get from that stone is not positive. I personally would not have touched it. Okay, so <laughs> let me clarify, um, Zach, and don't get me wrong, I appreciate your message, but the reason I pulled the stone out of the wall was because of its white color in contrast to the sort of gray, slate, and green rock wall that it was in. I actually didn't see the symbol on the rock at all. I just noticed the strange color of the rock in comparison to its surroundings and pulled it out from its position, thus revealing the symbol. So yeah, trust me, if I saw the symbol facing outwards, I might not have grabbed it as quickly as I did. <clears throat> so he says he personally would not have touched it. Uh, any symbology containing a thick black dot is something to be cautious of, in my personal opinion. So following this train of thought, in pirate lore, a black dot means death, and turns put this rune also stands for death, among other things. Be careful. My first thought is that Wiccan sigil rune magic is alive and well today, and especially has a history in your area, and really isn't it closely related to some of the more sinister stories being told in conspiracy circles, i.e. pedogate. One other thing is that I feel this sigil is highly personalized as it builds upon the ancient symbology, but the placement of the elements and their intention are very specific to the person who created it. I've been broke for a while, but prior to this, I have been feeling very inspired to send you money, so consider it done. Peace and love and much appreciation. Zach in the Ozarks. Thank you, Zach. I will definitely uh, take whatever donation you can afford. And uh, on the point of your caution, I, I as much as I agree with you being cautious, I just cannot see the symbolism in that in that symbol. I mean, for those listening, the the rune you shared with me, yes, it does have a similar axis to the the, the symbol itself, but just doesn't seem like it, it was that sinister to me. Uh, if anything, it's something that is meant to be, again, like you pointed out, highly personalized for whoever put it there. Um, I don't think that I displaced it. I, mean, I put it right back where I found it. Um, I did chip a little bit of the paint off, which might not have been a good idea, but I do not get the sense that there's anything sinister about that stone or even that symbol. Uh, 
And I don't see the connection to Pedogate whatsoever. And I really, you know, and that's nothing against you, Zach. It's just like, I don't like that kind of extreme jump in logic where you go like sigils equals dark magic equals Pedogate. Like <laughs> you're making a lot of leaps there. I mean, first of all, uh, this is located near a golf course in a wealthy area. My my opinion is that a spiritual person, maybe a housewife who has a lot of time on their hands, put it there. Maybe a, a, a young person like myself who believes in this kind of symbolism might have put it there. I really don't think that it's connected to any sort of group doing anything criminal, uh, especially that severe. So much love to you, Zach. I appreciate it. Uh, he also says, uh, P.S., I have stone rows in my area, and I am intrigued by them. They're not very tall, but they're very old for my area. It was only settled in the early 1800s. Is this the significance of these? What is the significance of these in an occult sense? So <clears throat> that's a great question. Any boundary point, any liminal space between two areas, a boundary kind of represents that gateway into another world, possibly. Uh, maybe it's just symbolic, but I think that's definitely what this represents. And then also you take into account the fact that most of these stone rows, we're told, were used to delineate the farmland that was carved out and all the old growth forests were burnt or cut down to make room for all this farmland. And what you see happen in the case of these stone rows that are sort of in forested areas, you, you have to assume that, well, this is a new growth forest. So at the very least, they're an indicator of what has gone on in the area. And to me, that's fascinating. Anytime you can figure out a little detail of history based on some sort of evidence that's uh, in existence that you can find in the field, so to speak, that's cool to me. I, I love that kind of thing. Um, I would consider myself a field researcher for sure. Um, anyways, and then he goes and apologizes, like I kind of joked about. I'm sorry for the crazy last message. Didn't mean to be an alarmist. Needless to say, I was in a weird weed place along with other extenuating circumstances. Yes, I have been there and I totally support that. I think that's uh, an okay place to go sometimes. Sometimes we need to be in a weird weed place in order to set, you know, to pull some of these threads apart. But it's also really um, relieving to see that you recognize that eh, maybe what I said wasn't that uh, spot on. So you're a very reasonable guy, Zach. I appreciate you. And uh, and he goes on to say. Another word for the idea I was trying to convey would be talisman or perhaps totem. Yes, that's kind of what I would think too. But given how fresh the paint seemed, I mean, I'm not going to go and say that it's some kind of ancient talisman. It just, that would be a little, that would be a little too far of a leap. So he says, I've studied tribal cultures kind of extensively and could elaborate on how such an object would be created if and used if you ever want to talk about it. The black mark on your finger would also be an indication of something along the lines of what I've mentioned. I'm going to listen to the end of the Chaz episode now. That guy is awesome. Thanks again. Rock on, dude. I appreciate you sending in this message. I hope you enjoy the Chaz episode. I certainly enjoyed talking to Chaz. And I got his book, 
we've been reading it, Tara and I, and it's it's certainly fascinating how much what Chaz is talking about connects to what Walter Bosley talks about. And, you know, Walter Bosley is somebody who I've been studying a lot lately. His work become very interesting to me. And I just got his contact info from Richard Spence. So fingers crossed we'll have Walter on the show soon. But what Chaz talks about with the friendship group, really I can't help but think maybe him and Walter are talking about similar groups where Walter's talking about breakaway civilizations. He's talking about this friendship group that has access to all this cash and platinum and titanium. And they're talking or not titanium, platinum, and they're talking uh, in all these different languages, and they have, you know, the ability to fix this person's boat. It's just really strange stuff. Buy Chaz's book to hear all the details. And thanks again, Zach. I appreciate your message. Let's see what other messages we got. All right. So let's go over to the Telegram and check out some messages. I got a really... Long, extensive message from a patron last night that we're going to get to right now. But first, got to give them a new spirit animal name per their request. I will not do this for anybody else. Uh, just not going to get into this. But Troy asked very politely and kindly. So I said, you know what? I'll give you a different, I'll give you a different spirit animal name. You don't like Thunderbat? That's fine. We'll give you a different one. But don't start asking me. Because you get what you get. It'll become a real problem if I have to start giving giving everybody a new a spirit animal name. So anyways, we're going to give Troy a new spirit animal name. And we're going to give two new spirit animal names out. And then we'll get to Troy's message. Rock on. Alright, so we've got our cards lined up here. We've got two new patrons. Shout out to you guys. And we've got one new spirit animal name to give. So, Troy, your new spirit animal name ooh, is the Moon Spider. You got the Moon Lodge card, which is symbolizing a retreat or recuperation. And you got the Spider card. So you are now the Moon Spider. You have upgraded from Thunderbat to Moon Spider. Very cool. Next up, newest member of the patron, we got Tommy H. Tommy H. Ooh, this is an interesting one. This is an interesting one. So we've got the horse card, and we've got the standing people card, which... For those not familiar, that's a reference to trees. So the standing people card represents roots or giving. So we can call you the root horse, the giving horse, the standing horse. I'm going to go with, uh, with standing horse. That sounds cool. Standing horse, Tommy H. Welcome to the club. Ooh, sorry about that. <clears throat> Next up, we've got a very cool dude and i'm saying that because of his profile picture i can already tell him and i will get along so we got rick r and rick you got the shark card you got the cradleboard card which represents 
an ability to respond. So you are the cradle board shark, the cradle shark. Very interesting spirit animal name. Or the responsive shark. I'm going to go with cradle shark because I don't know if we'll get another name like that. So there we go. We got our three newest patrons and their spirit animal names. Remember, folks, these are all chosen at random and uh, there will be no appellations. So if you don't like your spirit animal name, tough. Thunderbat was pretty cool. That one's now up for grabs. So if you don't like your spirit animal name, maybe you can go with Thunderbat. And then your name will be up for grabs. So, anyways, thank you, Thunderbat, Cradle Shark, uh, Standing Horse, Moon Spider. Thank you all for being a part of the show and being patrons. Now, let's go over to Moon Spider's message that he left us. So, he says, Hey, what's up? Uh, can you talk right now? And I'm like, Yeah, sure. Cool. What's up? And then he says, he grew up in Rockland and loves exploring. I'm going to summarize this a little bit, Troy, uh, and then get back to some of your questions. So he says, expand on this if it tickles you. Let's see if it tickles me. I am ticklish. Maybe you could possibly gather some of your former guest speakers together who understand and are just as passionate as I am on this matter to formulate a plan to create a new map or web for us. And then when the plan seems sound, challenge every one of your listeners to make their backyard sacred again. Possibly learn how to use the land, grow maybe some vegetables or fruit. Everyone would somehow connect maybe through a copper wire or something we can reconfigure the grid. We can create a brilliant new geometric resonance sound pattern. So to that, I would say, you know, I, I can't make any promises. It does sound awesome. Uh, I definitely recommend you check out Jim Gale. Uh, he has not been on, well, he's been on this podcast. We just never released the episode because, uh, to be quite honest, I wasn't very happy with it. Um, he joined us for 25 minutes and then bounced, which, you know, I don't like to, I don't, I just don't, I just don't want to do that, you know? So I love Jim. I think he's got a great, great, um, movement and a great company, but the guy, you know, didn't have enough time to spend with us on the podcast or whatever it was that day. And we'll have to just, you know, reschedule it and, and, and do something, um, differently, in the future who knows maybe we'll never have him back on but i have i've certainly helped him get on plenty of podcasts so you can you can definitely find jim somewhere maybe not this podcast but yeah that's what jim's doing i mean turning backyards barren backyards into food forests that's a great way to connect your home space with the greater energy environment and restructure this weakened biome that we're living in uh, as far as a copper wire that would connect us all i mean that sounds to me like an ic an intentional community where you know people are all living together for a common goal it might be hard to convince your neighbors where you're living now to do something like that but yeah, I, I definitely don't want to be uh, raining on your parade, Troy. This is all awesome stuff. And, you know, as much as I, I would love to to get behind that, I mean, I'm already doing this. This is, this is how I'm helping 
I think this is the best I can do. Uh, it's a podcast and all the other things I got going on. And, and this is not just the only thing, but right now at this point in time, no, I cannot <laughs> dedicate myself to something like that. I, I would love to help in any way, but you're not going to get me to start it. If you want to start it, Troy, by all means, I'd love to help. Uh, but yeah, really um, intrepid, intrepid plans there. I hope it works out. So then he also has some comments on the episode I did with my friend Roman on the resonance architecture and generating energy, which is very much in line with what he's talking about. You know, how, how can we, how can we restructure our communities to be, you know, recreating this energetic biome, this energy grid, realiven it, connect back with mother earth, with Gaia. I don't know. You know, it seems to me like uh, these landmarks that they're placing are placed in certain areas to funnel that energy. Um, but yeah, he also goes on to share this concept of uh, a mud, blood, brick, a brick made of blood. And there's articles that he's showing me that point to uh, them possibly using these blood bricks on to build structures on Mars. I guess you donate your blood and it somehow turns into a brick. Wow, that's strange. And uh, and Troy left his number here. He showed a bunch of cool pictures of stones that he's found. So we definitely need to talk. I definitely, definitely need to talk with Troy. So he left me his number. And maybe we'll have him on an extended outro in a future episode. But a lot of interesting points. Um, I hope I responded to what you were asking. But now we're going to cryptozoology.com for their latest update, uh, the latest in cryptozoology news. We got a report from Australia. Three freaked out forest workers claim they stumbled upon a Bigfoot-like Yowie while driving home from work in a remote Aussie town. Three friends have been left shaken after they spotted what they believe was a Yowie uh, while on their way home in a remote Australian town. On December 4th, Seamus, December 4th, 2021, Seamus Fitzgerald and his two mates were driving back from a long day working on one of the plantation fields at Jimna in tropical North Queensland, they caught sight of a mysterious figure at the edge of the road. We initially thought it was a boar or a really big animal until we got closer and saw it run off in a very ape-like way, Seamus told the Courier Mail. The animal stood up and looked at them with what he described as an ape-like face before running off into landscape. He added the creature had long arms and was covered in dark red hair or fur. I never really had a paranormal or strange experience like that before. I hardly slept that night, and the feeling was overwhelming. I had seen something that I never believed in previously, he said. His mate, Sterling Slowcock Bennett, said the trio couldn't comprehend, comprehend what they were looking at. We were in utter disbelief of what we were seeing. It definitely was a scary moment for me. As I said, I was so confused and shook off for what we were seeing. 
As we got closer and closer, it didn't make any sense like he'd hope. He added the trio had organized a few hikes to venture out and locate the creature, but they were poorly planned because too many people tagged along and the noise they were making would have scared off any wildlife. It's said that the Yowie is a, cremate, uh, a creature prominent in Aboriginal folklore, which is said to roam the outback. It's well known. It is a well-known tale amongst the 91 locals of the small town who have had previous sightings of the creature. The mythical creature is often described as a tall and ape-like, similar to Bigfoot, and scared of human beings. This tale has prompted a number of Yowie hunters to set up camp in the far in far north Queensland, trying to track down the animal and offering tours into its habitat. The three plantation workers said they had told others in town what they had witnessed and were told Yowies appear more often in storms. The three said the experience had sparked their interest and they intended to research more and explore the area. Wow, fascinating stuff. Uh, thank you, DailyMail.uk, for that fascinating take. We got another story from Cryptozoology.com. This one comes from Inside Edition. We're talking about a mysterious animal that was dug up recently by workers in eastern Turkey. It's about three feet long and has predatory teeth, exceptionally long hind limbs, and nails instead of hooves. Kind of looks to me like... Uh, like it could be like a Tasmanian tiger type looking creature. But it's curious because, you know, what this looks like also uh, is what is depicted uh, when they point out these like unknown animals that are on the uh, Globeki Tepe uh, carving structure, the stone reliefs in the Globeki Tepe. This creature kind of looks like that to me, but... Check it out. I'll put the links in the description if you want to follow up with these two stories. Thank you, Cryptozoology.com. We got a bunch of really awesome messages from the pod inbox. Thank you to everybody who submitted messages. You'll be hearing yourself on the show, of course. Tell us why your family thinks you're crazy. Tell us your name, where you're from. Keep it short. Don't give us too much details. We don't know, need to know your whole name, but yeah, I want to include that in the show more. Anyways, I got kind of a late night here, so we might have to cut this short soon, but David Ike's son, Gareth Ike, will be joining me on the show tomorrow, so i going to get to bed. Uh, he is over there in UK time, so shout out to all our UK listeners. I'm excited to talk to Gareth. He is into a lot of the same stuff I am naturally, and I'm sure it'll be a great conversation. Not quite sure where it's going to go yet. Not quite sure what I'm going to talk about, but we'll see what happens. I've been reading the Empire of the Wheel book by Richard Spence and Walter Bosley. It's a fascinating book. Very unexpected twists and turns into ley lines and all kinds of interesting related subjects. And I just got Walter's email, so fingers crossed we'll be having him on the show for an interview. Wouldn't that be neat? Definitely, definitely looking forward to that. Christmas just passed. I got a lot of really cool books on the way. 
Um, my lovely girlfriend Tara got me four books, one of them about Cahokia that I plan on digging into. So a lot of really cool reads. Empire of the Wheel is what I've been working on. It's a fascinating book. And I already ordered the second book in the series. So that's on its way in the mail. I'll have to dig through that when it comes. But if you like books, if you want to read, and maybe even read the same book as me, go over to the Amazon wish list that I have there on the website. Just click on the phrase, buy Mark a book, and uh, buy me a book, buy yourself a copy. We'll read it together, and I'll have you on the Patreon for reading uh, a book club reading episode where where we talk about maybe our favorite parts of the book. Maybe we talk about what we agree with, disagree with, what we learned, all kinds of great stuff. Could be a great way to get yourself on the show or just show me some love, show me some support. Uh, books are not cheap. They're not free. And uh, the more books I get, I think the better the content gets on the show. I don't know. The more I learn, the more we can talk about. So here we are, folks. It's 12-29-2021, coming up on the last few days of 2021. It's been a strange year. You can tune in to the Legit Bat Podcast. I'll be on it tomorrow live. It'll be out by the time this comes out, so go and check that out to hear my thoughts on 2021. Gareth Ike episode coming out soon we got some new podcasters joining alt media united if you're listening to this and you're one of those folks don't worry i will be sure to put your info on the website as soon as possible uh don't worry but alt media united check that out i was just on the hidden gateway podcast with my new friend justin shout out to you justin thank you for having me on it was a great time uh, definitely check out my interview on the Hidden Gateway podcast, we got into some really interesting stuff. He asked me about uh, the Epstein and Maxwell situation. He asked me about satanic ritual sacrifice, because uh, apparently I'm an expert on that. <laughs> well, no, he asked me for my thoughts on it. It wasn't anything conclusive or definitive. I, I don't think he was expecting, but either way. It was a fun conversation, and Justin is a really cool guy. I definitely encourage you to check out his show, and his show will be on Alt Media United very soon. Our podcast cooperative, if you're not familiar, go to altmediaunited.com and check it out. That is the best place to find some new podcasts, maybe some podcasts that you're already familiar with. You didn't realize they were associated with the podcast here. Yeah, that's right. They've either been on a podcast with me or talked to me before. I'm trying to grow this cooperative to be as large as it can be. So if you have a podcast and you want to take part in what we're building, hit me up. Contact info is on the website. I will be on the New York Patriot show this week as well. Uh, another Alt Media United podcast. So look out for that. That's about it. Thank you for listening to this My Family Thinks I'm Crazy episode with Matt Raymer here live in the Synchro Mystic, ever-expanding now, the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, a show you've come to know and love, and I'm really grateful that you're here listening in the now, and I hope you have a great moment wherever you are in the now. So with that, 
peace.